Hi there, House Culture listener. If you enjoy this episode or have enjoyed listening to other episodes in our series, please support and donate to us through the Acast Supporter feature. All donations will help us create the content that you love listening to. You can decide how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So it could be a one-off and every now and then or once every time you listen. It's really up to you. Click on the supporter link in the episode description and with Google or Apple Pay, it will take you less than 30 seconds to make your contribution. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my name is Anja Schneider and you're listening to House Culture Podcast. House Culture. Hello everybody and welcome to the first episode in the third season of the House Culture Podcast with me, your host, the managing editor at House Culture, Matt Rouse. I hope you haven't missed us too much in our short hiatus between the end of our second season last year and the beginning of our third season this year. These next few releases might not be as regular as you are used to, but we just couldn't resist being away from your ears for too long. And if this is the first time tuning into the pod, first of all, welcome to House Culture. We are a collective of house music fans who have come together through our mutual love of the beat to celebrate the spirit of house music. Come and join us on Instagram at housecultureNet and get connected with fellow party people from across the world. Second of all, make sure you get yourself acquainted with the personalities from our previous two seasons of podcast interviews, featuring huge characters from the scene such as Fatboy Slim himself, Norman Cook, Brooklyn's finest, Danny Tanaglia, Hacienda legend Graham Park, the beaten icon Dawn Hindle, and Shum Svengali and Acid House innovator Danny Rampling. So, let's get this third season kicked off, shall we? In this one, we chat to Berlin resident and techno superstar Anja Schneider. In our conversation, you'll hear about her discovery of electronic music. Then I discovered the first Kraftwerk record, the yellow computer bed. And this was something I had no idea that it was electronic music, but I could feel that there was something completely different. Who first inspired her from behind the decks? Then there was the first time that I heard in a club German DJ called Hans Niesmann and he mixed the tracks. And I was like, whoa! And he was mixing house, Chicago house, acid house. And I was so blown away by this that you can mix tracks in sand, which is great. Her experience of visiting the legendary Trezor for the first time. I went into this Trezor and during this time in the beginning of the 90s, I remember how I went down the stairs. With every stair, you feel the bass 
And I will never ever forget this moment because this moment was so initial and so important. I will never forget this, it's crazy. And how she approaches her DJ sets when playing live. I'm always come into a club and try to check it out, how it is, uh, how the vibe is, how the crowd is. And I'm coming from this generation where I want to be a DJ to give the people a good night. It makes me feel terrible if people are not having fun. So get yourself ready to spend the next hour with a true techno icon. This is Anja Schneider. House Culture Hi, Anya. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with us on the House Culture Podcast. You've influenced the scene through your long-running radio shows, created some of the biggest brands in underground dance music, helped nurture and discover new talent, and developed a sound in your DJ sets that is specifically yours. We're currently in lockdown at the moment, so can you just tell us where we catch you right now and how you are doing? You catch me now in Berlin to really, really a difficult time. We are all going through this. And uh, it's really nice to have a little bit different stuff to do today and talk with you, actually. <laughs> and uh, especially for me, it's quite hard because, as you might know, I'm, it's really hard to say, but I'm always since 20 years in the business and I was traveling constantly the last 15 years. And now since more than or less nine months, this all stopped, which was a really, really big challenge, first mm. of all, for me. Um, first of all, of course, because um, your your life was not scheduled s- somehow, because all before we always had a really tough schedule, what we had to do. We know exactly next weekend I'm flying there, I get picked up there, I sleep in a hotel. So this was quite a big, big challenge, first of all, for this. And you really had time what you have to fill in with your family. It was also like a big challenge because it was always good to move for some days away in mm. somehow. And then, of course, it was a big challenge also to fill this time because you had suddenly time to think about yourself, you know, and uh, what are you doing now? Is this really the life you wanted to do? Mm. On the other hand, I always had the feeling, oh, I want to stop a little bit and I want to have a little break, but I'm really bad and saying no. And, and so I was constantly traveling and some somehow in the beginning, I felt like, wow, I have so much time. I can think about myself, about my career and what I want to do with my life, which was first of all, positive, you know, mm-hmm. beside of all this stress with homeschooling and, you know, and, um, but now after nine months, it's getting like really terrible and that you have the feeling you want to have your life back as I want to have my life back and I'm missing it so much and I'm missing the crowd. I never thought that this is such a big part of my life, but I'm really missing it. I'm missing it to, to see something else because now I'm always go into my radar and living in Berlin Mitten and not um, leaving it you know mm-hmm. I had a couple of gigs in the summer outside under circumstances where it was possible but it was not comparable with this what we lived before and I never thought that I'm missing to see my friends and hug my friends and I'm a really um, physical human being you know mm-hmm. I always like to hug people when people come into the club I like it you know and this is something completely strange and I remember during the lockdown in the summertime I had a gig in Zurich where Switzerland was possible to have little events until capacity of 300 people and there were also people coming okay like, hey, Anya can I have a picture and you were like oh <laughs> it was a strange feeling and this is something for me I'm not sure if I can deal with this because mm-hmm. I like this and I like to hug my fans and I'm happy if I make people happy and I want to 
show this. Yeah, these are the circumstances you catch me in, but I'm looking positive. We have the new year 21. We're all looking forward to this and yeah. Yeah, hopefully this year will be a lot more positive and there'll be a lot more changes. And I think everyone's itching to get back out there as well. And like you say, it goes against kind of human nature as well. If you're a physical person and that collectiveness you get on a dance floor, especially that sense of community, that's what people are really missing, I think. Yes, and also for example, as an electronic dance producer, you know, we are always used to produce really quick and fast and we're testing our stuff directly on the dance floor. Mm-hmm. This is completely something what I missed. I was so, I spent so much time in the studio and also I changed a little bit my point of view how, because I couldn't test it, first of all. And I changed a little bit also my music style. I went into breaks, a little bit deep house. I tried everything out what I would under normal circumstances probably would not do mm-hmm. yeah and so there are always you know always good things and bad things and i'm really positive girl <laughs> so i always try to, to, to think and see things positive and this was quite good for me and but now i really want to play tracks out and it's 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 really i'm begging for it yeah so that's kind of where we find you right now what we always try and do is get someone's Uh, sense of their career from the very beginning really so what I'd like to do is kind of rewind to when you were growing up in and around Cologne discovering music tell us about how you first discovered electronic music and where was there ever a moment where you heard something and it really affected you inside and just take us through the story of first discovering electronic music in that way I think I was a little girl and still had my little um, room at my uh, parents house and of course my name is Schneider and we had in Germany we had like this Schneider hi-fi sound system and of course I had this hi-fi tower from Schneider I got it I think when I was nine or ten and of course I bought then my first records and terrible records of course so it took a while if I discover good music I think this is the story of everyone else <laughs> and then I discovered the first Kraftwerk record the yellow computer bed and this was completely different from everything I heard mm-hmm. and I remember I heard this record constantly and this was something I had no idea that it was electronic music but I could feel that there was something completely different and so I liked it and then of course I was getting older and I tried to get out you go to the to the local clubs where the DJs play rounds of hip-hop rock indie and but this was not there was not there was the times when acid house came and then there was the first time that I heard in a club DJ German DJ called Hans Niesmann and he mixed the tracks Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, because this was not usual. So I was in the first time in a club in Cologne and I heard Hans Niesmann and he was mixing house, Chicago house, acid house things. Mm-hmm. And I was so blown away by this. And uh, so, and during this time, we didn't have anything else. We just had a radio. So I tried to discover what it was. Yeah, this was the first time I was blown away that you can mix tracks in set, yeah. which is great. So you were actually in the club and you were either hearing that, were you actually watching what he was doing as well? And that was kind of sparking ideas in your mind? Yes, because he didn't put the mic in between what yeah. the DJs did. And this was for me something house music. So, and the lucky I was, I had a little job on on a shop in Cologne and around the corner there was a record shop and there was the first record shop in Cologne and they had Chicago and Acid House and I was going every lunchtime I was going through this and I heard this music coming out and I was of course shy because I was a young young girl and of course going into record shops was always a big deal yeah. especially as a woman back in the days and I was like oh my god it took me like half a year and then I was able to go in there 
and I asked for some tapes, like what kind of music it is. And they gave me these tapes and I was blown away. So I heard there was something new. And of course I got more and more. I searched some radio stations we had during this time in Cologne, some English radio stations where there was one guy called Steve Mason. He did techno. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, what's this? So I tried to discover. And of course I tried to read something to get my get more and more into it. So I read a little bit and I heard about this techno and it was just when the wall came down mm -hmm. and so I took my little Citroen car and because I was living in Cologne and I was going to Berlin because I was reading about the cops there that there is something really wild going on, some anarchy somehow. And I was reading and I had a little plan. I want to go and go into this Tresor because mm -hmm. I heard about this Tresor the club right? like it's down on the bank thing and this was completely new for me because in cologne the nightclubs were run by people you know a little bit shady you know the nightclubs was always you're not saying hey i'm going clubbing because parties was not made by people like we are mm -hmm. it was always a little bit with little feet you're always somehow into <laughs> gangster shit whatever <laughs> and the girls were like oh be careful not talk with them maybe you have to pay <laughs> So, and I was driving to Berlin. So I was going into the Tresor completely by myself when I was really young. Berlin is a long way from Cologne as well. How long was that drive? Oh, especially with my old Citroën, which is, you know, where you open up the, the, the in Germany, we call it Ente, but mm. you have to, to make the thing in the middle. There's oh, nothing like the stick shift, gear shift. So this was actually around 12 hours because you couldn't, couldn't go faster, you know, yeah. but it, I was so nervous and I really want, I heard there's something going on. So I went into this Tresor and during this time, in the beginning of the 90s, it was the Globus Absa um, over uh, on the third floor. Yep. And then I had to go downstairs underneath and there was this legendary Tresor. And I was standing five hours into Globus and they were playing kind of hip house you know but it was not this techno what i expected and normal people and i was like hmm. so and it took me five hours to ask a guy on the bar i said sorry is this this legendary trezor and i will never ever forget how this guy looked at me like oh my god poor girl and then I, he took me by the hand and went with me around the corner and there was this little stairs where i would be normally not going mm -hmm. because I come from Cologne, <laughs> have lights, this is the way, but this was like completely underground. And yeah. I remember how I went down the stairs. I think everyone has this, for example, people who went to go for the first time to Bergheim, when you put the stairs and with every stair, you feel the base, then you could smell the sweat mm -hmm. and you see this trobo and I was like, oh, there's something really crazy things. <laughs> waiting down there so and then suddenly i was standing there and for me this was mind-blowing and i will never ever forget this moment because this moment was so initial and so important and everyone was so nice you know in cologne i didn't have this during this time yeah. and but dancing you couldn't see the djs was robots and the smell i really have the smell still in my nose <laughs> and i will never forget this it's crazy yeah. And everyone was so nice and I met directly friends, you know, in Cologne, it's impossible. And then they said to me, yeah, no, it's not over. We go now to the planet. And I was like, oh, it's already seven o'clock in the morning. I was like, okay, they're all so nice. I come with them. And then they took me to the planet. So it was a mind blowing weekend. Yeah. And after this weekend, I felt, oh my God, there's something going on. I want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be alone. And it was during this time in Berlin 
just after the wall came down, we had so many spaces where people did parties, no one controlled it. There was like really kind of anarchy. And then there was still this feeling that the Western part and the Eastern part came together. It was amazing. So there was a great energy where I never felt again. And so I quit my job, moved to Berlin, I think two weeks later or something, because I felt that it's something going on. And yeah. so I moved to Berlin and lived completely for the weekend. And was and, and I know exactly where I had to go. I went Friday and then to Paul von Dijk, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was a huge yeah. <laughs> You always start with this, you know. Yeah. But it was like an amazing time. And uh, I was more or less... Um, visitor because i was you know i was always shy but i could see directly who is with who who is the best dj you know mm -hmm. I, I felt really safe to be there and yeah and um i realized my dream or uh, i just came true because i felt i want to be a part of it i felt mm -hmm. there is something going on and, and then i tried to work in this business so yeah. i was I had like a, a marketing studies, communication. So, and then I went to a pirate radio station, what I heard in the morning. And I went to them and said, hey, this is what I've done. And they said, yeah, it's wonderful. We don't pay any money, but if you want to work. So this is how I came to radio. Yeah, I mean, and you've had that different journey into DJ. Oh. Didn't you start in radio as a radio personality through the pirate station and then DJ Kicks followed on from your show? Yeah, it was first of all, um, this pirate radio station was like an unbelievable, it was like, it was Paul von Dijk had his morning show, Ellen Alien had the first techno show, so there was a lot of, and everyone, it was first of all a pirate station for a multicultural get together. So there was not electronic music or DJ radio, we formed then into DJ radio. And I was the organization girl who came in the morning, called everyone, hey, you have a show and cleaned the studio, try to build some structure. It was the best school I ever had because I learned everything how radio could be. And we were still on a pirate. We didn't have a frequency. Mm -hmm. And we were fighting that we get um, a normal frequency. And we made really crazy stuff. And then there was already the Love Parade, of course, where mm -hmm. I've been. And there was the Love Parade 94 coming. And I was thinking, okay, how we can get into this with our radio station. So I went to all the big clubs and was asking, hey, can we broadcast your night? And during this time, it was kind of this Berlin, what you still find, where everyone was a little bit arrogant. Oh, radio, we are like the cool club ever. And then we don't want to be broadcasted. Techno is our thing. And I was like, hey, I'm your thing too. Mm -hmm. You know, this kind of reaction, what you still have sometimes, probably you know this. Yeah. Well, they all were looking to me saying, no, we are not broadcasting on the radio. We don't want to have radio here, media coverage. And I was like, shit, so we have to do something by ourselves. And so I was like, okay, maybe we rent a boat, putting it in Berlin center, close to where the parade is. We starting, we put our studio on the boat. We starting Friday, six o'clock until Monday, six o'clock in the morning, 60 hours, and every hour another DJ. I will call all the DJs, you have enough DJs. So, and I remember I put a little bit a beach in front of and some baths because I thought maybe the DJs come with their friends and they can relax. So we started Friday at six and three hours later, it's getting more and more people because we also not only broadcasting, we had a little sound system. And honestly, without a lie, we had 60,000 people during this weekend. <laughs> And I was kind of a most hated woman during this time because the clubs were empty because it was for free. And I had everyone playing, everyone. Mm -hmm. And I had even DJs 
calling me said i have to play that like richie horton so it was like wow. dj sneak they had all these people yeah mm. And, and it was just an idea of a nice get together for the radio. So in the end, it was one of the biggest parties. So after this weekend, everyone was really nice to me. So there was never ever this arrogance. I said, okay, we have to take her serious. <laughs> so this is kind of my radio story. But with this, I got probably well known suddenly in Berlin and in the media scene. So and it took me five years later with this radio station then i had an offer of a like the bbc of a government radio station and mm -hmm. i said hey we want to be cool and we want to get more into dance music there's so much happening so they i had a job offer which was really good and i was working there as a program manager and marketing and then i started to build up this electronic music shows mm -hmm. and then they said once why are you not doing a show because you know all these people, you know all this music. But I was kind of shy because I had a marketing background and I thought, okay, if I'm now going in front of the mic, I will like, hey, yeah, acting maybe stupid. And then no one takes me serious. Mm -hmm. But I took the chance and said, why not? So I started this radio show and I was, of course, acting stupid in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> when you have the first time in front yeah. of the microphone, like, oh. But... I started my show and um, this is now 20 years or something. Oh my God, mm. I'm fine. And this is how I started to present. And with the radio show, suddenly I still covered the whole love parade. I did all this, this event 10 years later also for another show. So I was always working with a lot of DJs. I was helping to get electronic music more popular. It was before we had all this love parade, Mayday hype and stuff. Yeah. And um, with the show suddenly, I got a lot of requests to play records and I had really no clue. Mm -hmm. And the only thing what I was thinking, because back in the days, radio was a big thing. You had always 80,000 listeners. I was like, okay, if I can do this in a radio, I can do this in a club for 300 people. Because I couldn't mix and I could oh mix some, but no, yeah. And I remember I had my first DJ gig. Oh my God, this was crazy. It was on Potsdamer Platz. It was a really big party. It was done by my friend. And I had to play after Paul Kalkbrenner. He was not so big during this time, you know, but still there was a lot mm. of people. And I was standing there with the two record players. So this was a really good lesson. Yeah. <laughs> and nerve wracking as well. I mean, you know, not only kind of stepping behind the mic initially to do a radio show is, you know, like you said, you're a shy person, not from that broadcast background anyway, to do that as one and then to start getting gigs and almost like you're saying, you couldn't necessarily mix so well to begin with. And learning on the job in that environment is mildly terrifying, I'd imagine. It was terrifying because in the radio, you don't see the reaction. Like you say, you're standing there alone in your studio. You have no clue. But if I see even 10 people in front of me looking to me, then I get like, it's a completely different yeah. situation. Yeah. In radio, you always can do the charming. Oh, I, I put the wrong button. And, but people like this, even when they hear some mistakes in the radio because it's human mm -hmm. somehow. And uh, yeah, so I I was then close myself in at home and I was trying to mix. I had a good a teacher and a radio colleague. So I really worked on, on that I get better. And then, of course, with all this, suddenly I got so much demo because my show was so popular. So I got so much demos from young artists. And then I kind of had a distributor. He came to me and said, why are you not starting a label? Because you are the key person. You have all this new music of the new artists. You have a name. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, why I should not start a label? And this was the idea to start the label, which was Mobile back in the time. Mm -hmm. 
to release young artists and to help them to use my name to make them a career, what is normal. And what I did in the beginning, so I discovered Panpot and stuff like this. I had really beautiful artists, Zebo K, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, this is how it came. And then I quit my job at the radio, but I kept my radio show, but I couldn't work as a program manager anymore. So, <laughs> so you were doing a dual role at the station as well. So you were working behind the scenes as well as hosting a show as well. Yeah. And this was actually also, I have to tell you, a kind of a problem because when I first stepped out of the radio and first stepped, going behind the decks you know there was not only everyone was like wow yeah we were waiting for you because there was a lot of jealousy also like huh? why are you doing this now too you know this is the typical thing oh journalist now starts to you know yeah. <laughs> you know probably this <laughs> they were not really happy about it and they were okay now she's promoting only herself and we are done which was not true but it was not really that people were like oh yeah give her a chance it was always like a like a bitter, bitter thing what I had to fight. <laughs> and of course, during this time in the 2000, um, it was also quite difficult as a girl because everyone was more watching you and waiting for your technical mistakes. You know? mm. and, and then now, yeah, because everyone was talking about the new girl DJ generation, how they could mix and how their technical are. And no one was talking about male DJs when someone was maybe too wasted and fucked up the mix. Yeah, this yeah. was normal. Yeah, but it was nice. And then I started later, 2005. Yeah, this was, it was all really organic. This was nothing planned. Yeah. And this is why I'm still probably still there and like it still because it's uh, yeah, kind of my life and my passion. Yeah, I mean, I'm a massive, you know, my professional career, I've, I've worked in radio for a long time as well. And as a medium, it's amazing. I love it. And it's so <laughs> intimate. It's so inclusive just sat here now just me and you people will be listening to this and they'll think that they're in the room with us as well it's such a lovely medium yeah. I mean how important is it do you think for the scene to have these outlets as radio shows and personalities on the radio promoting this new music in terms of having a large broadcast network and medium behind you how important do you think that is for the scene I think for my career and for my life it is it was and it is still the most important medium mm -hmm. I love it I'm listening to radio all the time and I was searching for radio. I had special shows. I was on there at the time and was listening to it. I was recording a lot of stuff. I learned so much. And I had, of course, some figures. We had amazing figures back in the day uh, in the radio where I learned quite a lot of. And But nowadays, it's people are not really interested anymore. And this is how I discovered techno music and how I discovered my how I built my my taste in music i mean later it was probably the guy in the record shops who get me the record say hey mm -hmm. listen to this you know and this is really something what i think what is missing today some key persons they you always have already a taste but there's always something what someone has to show you if you're not really able to dig for this yeah. and it's so important and it's so sad of course now you have for every niche a certain show and everyone has now his own radio show this is so common and i think I'm missing this and I think it's unfortunately not so important anymore. I don't know how this young generation get the new music. They're going to say, hey, play a song like this. And then suddenly it comes from a little machine. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it was, it's a completely different time. I would not, I'm not the person who said, oh, it was all better back in the days. Mm. But it's sad that we are, um, the young generation, we didn't catch them now through radio. They have YouTube, they have other channels where Twitch, TikTok, mm -hmm. <laughs> where they get inspiration from, what is for me completely, huh? Yeah. I love radio, 
beautiful. And for example, what you were saying, and when all this starts with the pandemic and I had suddenly so much time, I always had the, the idea to make a talk show radio like you do now with me, where you can sit with someone, not mainly an artist, because we have so much interesting personalities and characters in our scene where it's really worth to tell the story behind. And no one, especially in a magazine, you always cover the album and the, the actual work, but not where this people, this person comes from. So, and I start also like a talk show called Clubroom Backstage, mm -hmm. where I really talk as long as it's interesting with a guest and I had amazing moments. And I had, for example, Matthew Hope from El Rowe, he come, mm -hmm. he's a brand manager, mm -hmm. you know, he comes from Slovenia. He has a really interesting story. I had DJ Anna because she started as a 14 year old DJ in her father's club in Brazil somewhere. And interesting things. And people, Chris Liebing was interesting. Fjag, everyone, mm -hmm. Etap Kyle from Ukraine. Also, it's, it's really interesting, like you said. And I'm always interested to see a little bit behind and yeah. this is i love it and um but also like you said we have now so much podcast you know it's for me like a little bit i'm overwhelmed even yeah. if i'm looking for something what i like it's it's quite hard now because everyone is doing podcasts now because everyone has time <laughs> <laughs> absolutely just following on from your story you mentioned mobbly records as well and you set that up in 2005 obviously that quickly grew organically into like this huge dance music brand Obviously, Mobbly, back when you set it up, was your baby, and now you've moved yeah. on to something else. Can you just take us through that story? How difficult mm -hmm. was it moving from one thing that you had created into this huge oh. thing and then kind of starting again? It was really, really difficult, and it was a long decision what, with what was with me for a year. But I didn't feel comfortable because we were already so big. We had eight people working for us. It was like... Hmm, it was like a machine and we started really organically and there was a lot of fun and we were surprised and everything was like more and more fun, but suddenly it gets more into a business. And this is also limiting your creativity in my point of view. And of course you have to feed the monsters. You have to make like, okay, you have to get, get into the charts. You have to sell, you have to do every booking because you have to get everyone happy and Everything was kind of like a business and too much brand for me. It was a great brand. It was great people. Really, I'm missing this time a lot, but I couldn't do it anymore. I felt like a little bit, I needed some some new space and space actually. And I need more um, free free space for me and where I could do whatever I want. You know, for example, what I did more breaky stuff now, I couldn't do this for Mobile because everyone was like, hey, no, we have this brand. We have to go, no, 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 no. We have a plan. And and this was not easy. And of course, a lot of people hate me during this time. I spoke to everyone, said, hey, you know, I want to listen. I tried to get everyone somewhere else a job. So because I had a feeling when I'm leaving, it's it's getting worse, which it's still existing, but of course not in this way like it was. Mm -hmm. And um, it was quite hard because I loved it. And then I started my label Zeus, which is the name of my grandma. And so us, and I just wanted to, ah, be free and deciding by myself when I want to release something. It was more for me, <clears throat> something where I can have a playground and just be not under pressure to play every weekend and, and to play a certain sound. I wanted to try myself. I want to go a little bit more experimental, which of course, some people that were confused about it because I couldn't change my sound. I'm still Anja Schneider and you can feel it 100%. 
So this is something what you can't change. Everyone was in the beginning like, oh, she's playing no hard techno. No, 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 of course not. Or whatever she, so I just, it's still like my sound and it's still me, but um, I don't need a big office, you know, especially in these times like this, I feel now I'm just responsible for myself. Of course I have like um, people that work for me were also responsible, but, and also artists I signed, but it's not like this, network we were before mm-hmm. yeah and i mean you've described it as um source which is um where anything is possible and everyone is invited i mean giving that sense of liberation like we were talking earlier just a minute ago about tastemakers and being presented something that hey if you like this you'll like that this is the opportunity for you to be able to experiment and you know it might not necessarily be the Anya Schneider sound in in quotes air quotes I'm doing air quotes um but you know this is something that you like and you enjoy and hey check this out absolutely and I like this and so I'm more free but also in the beginning it was also not easy because it's like a really safe zone when you are in the label because you play it once a month like a showcase and all your friends fun you have your crew which is really important also in the business this is my crew la, 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 la. so you have multiplicators and stuff and suddenly I was alone mm-hmm. and I didn't thought about this this was in the beginning quite difficult you know so suddenly I was not traveling with one of my colleagues and friends and uh, um, and suddenly there was no crew <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I didn't thought about this and this was quite difficult in the beginning, but of course it was something what I wanted. And, uh, but now sometimes I'm missing this and of course I'm missing this all good times and, Mm. but I'm still absolutely uh, right about my decision and I'm really happy about it. And Ralph who's running mobile, we are still friends as everything is good. Good. And yeah, I mean, from both outlets as well, there's always been some fantastic music Um, Mm. in terms of your productions that, You've released your second album a few years ago, which was So Me. Uh, when you're putting together an album, often dance music, it's very singles focused. How important do you think it is to to create something that's a whole rather than just like putting out singles? It's quite important. And this is the most difficult thing to do, actually, on an album. This is always the idea what everyone has when you produce an album. And it's really hard to get there. We always, of course, the big goal is always, oh, we make something where you're going to take me, take you on a trip, the listener, and tell a story. It's really difficult to reach this point. And I have to say, I'm still not on there. I had to tell a story, but in the end, it was a collection of tracks, what I had already in my mind. Mm-hmm. I would love to go there. And at the moment, I don't feel myself that I'm still in there. But this is something what only a few of electronic music artists can do. We have, I, I have to say, and I admire them quite a lot. So, uh, but this is something what we really want. And for me, with so me, there was only a collection of a lot of tracks, a little bit more slower, breaky. But it was, it was not really difficult or different from these things what I did on Mobile actually. So this getting more, it was just the first step to step out. What I produced after this, this was more different from all this other stuff, but uh, it was a collection of tracks. Yeah, obviously this period we we're going through now, hopefully people are locked in a studio creating loads of really good stuff for release when we all get back on the dance floor. Is there any news on um, anything new that you're creating during this time? Any news on maybe a third album or just what, what are you up to? The thing is, um, I produced so much music in the last nine months and I put them out because this is wonderful when you have your own label without any plan you can <laughs> put it out yeah. <laughs> I like that um, I'm not doing an album now because I don't feel the time um, 
for an album. I just want to wait a little bit with this and I want to get myself more time where I'm more convenient about really the status, what we talked about. I would love to tell a story, but I don't want to put another collection of my tracks that I produce. So it's really single orientated, the market, but I also have the feeling that um, a lot of music will produce, but it's also still a little bit quiet with people not releasing a lot of music because they're afraid everything in dance music is also related to their career. So I put the single out, probably I get more bookings. Sorry, even when you put a single out now, you don't get more bookings because no one can't play. Mm -hmm. But it's really sad because your fans are out there. And if you're not showing them that you're still there, that you're on it, you leave them alone, especially in this unsecure times. This is really, really hard. And I also have the feeling that a lot of people in the beginning, a lot of colleagues of myself, they were suddenly in this creative hole because like I said in the beginning, your whole life is turning upside down. There's nothing scattered. And it's for it's psychological quite, quite hard. And mm -hmm. there's no income for every one of us. Some of us, they have studios, they have families, they have big companies to run. So it's a lot of pressure suddenly. We are um, have to face it and we have to think about all our lives. So a lot of people were somehow in a creative hole, not like, hey, yes, we make like a tech house, right? I'm happy. This is was not possible mm. beside of the whole situation. I, I'm really curious if the music, the dance music will change a little bit, you know, because I'm curious what kind of music people now producing mm -hmm. beside of their um, thing where they're normally known for. And um, so there was also a time where people have to get them together. And some people are really frustrated still. So quite interesting. So I was able, I was enjoying the time in the studio, but I know from a lot of colleagues that were not and, and need some time. So some colleagues have to sell their studios because they have to survive. Mm. It's, it's really, really hard. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. 
Thanks. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that you have put out some things during this the last nine months. Um, is that different from usual when you actually create a track in the studio? How do you go about it? Do you actually finish it off in the studio and then present it to an audience? Or do you like to test things out to see what the reactions are and tweak based on that? I love testing them out, actually. I love it. And because mm. I'm always shy when the record is out to play it, <laughs> because people know it. I like to test it when they don't know it's for me. And... Uh, <laughs> I like it. And this was not possible. And mm. I just, it was so funny, this funny situation, because even yesterday, because I'm now doing my whole promo by myself, you know, that means I have my list of my top DJs and I sent him a personal email. Hey, it's my new track. Right now. Mm-hmm. And because I can't afford a promo agency, anymore, <laughs> we all have to get together to basics. Mm. And even yesterday, I was so shy to send it out. I was like, oh, no, I can't send him this because I couldn't test it. <laughs> I had no reaction. So it was a really, I find myself yesterday evening here and I was so, I'm not doing the promo because I don't want to send my new record out. It's crazy. I've never been in this situation. But now, as you say it, it's so funny hmm. uh, because I couldn't test it. So sometimes when you test it, you know, ah, banger, yeah, <laughs> works. Yeah. <laughs> and I, just my husband and me, we were listening to it. And of course, it's not like a normal reaction you get yeah? and it's so funny that you say this actually I was, yeah yesterday i was so no i can't send it i, I just sent it to so few but not to the <laughs> if it's not my record it's from my label for example from my other artists i was super proud and sent it out to everyone say hey this is like but for myself it's difficult <laughs> Yeah, I suppose if you've always worked in that way and just um, feeding off that crowd reaction, just knowing, okay, what you need to do based on that. Um, But when it comes down to the opinion of one or you and your husband and you're in a completely different context in in your home, it's really, I'd imagine, really difficult to understand. Yeah, totally. And I was really shy yesterday. Normally, I always said, even my promo for my record, I'm always like, yeah, I'm proud of it. And I had no idea how this record, because it's also different. Let's see. Yeah, and it must be a great feeling like in normal times uh, when you are in a club and you do play something, like you say, that is unknown to the audience and only known to you that it's by you and it gets the reaction that you would want. This is the best, of course. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is what we want. And when it's not like this, it's the worst. They're all leaving the dance floor and we're not arms, um, arms in the air. Like, but I ne- I think I will never ever get used to this, even after all this time. And I'm still always nervous when I play this. Thing. Maybe when you're playing it and there's some colleagues and you're like a little bit, maybe you have a glass of champagne. And say, hey, this is mine. <laughs> 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 also, in my radio show, for example, I don't play my tracks because I hate it. Because I uh, tell the people something about the tracks, at least the name and, and who it was written. And this sounds terrible. Ah, this is my record. You know, I'm not like this kind of, and I think this embarrassing. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. It's a personality thing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, you, you don't want to be, I think this is amazing. This is my track. Yeah, this is terrible. <laughs> cool. I mean, you're, you're sat in Berlin right now. You've lived there many years it's, and, and it's seen worldwide as the centre of the techno scene. Mm-hmm. How has Berlin changed in the years since you've lived and, and played there? I mean, I saw it on all different status. I came here in the beginning of the 90s where it was like an adventure. And then, of course, I've been to this time where Berlin was really suffering. Also, the clubs, there was no one coming. And then, of course, I've been to this big love parade mm-hmm. times where Berlin was full, at least during the summer. And of course, now I've been a witness of this rave tourism. And I like all different kind of status 
times here. And I'm not the person who said, oh, it was all better back in the days. I really loved all this new things what come to Berlin. Berlin is suddenly an international city and it was like a little little town before. And you know all the people. And when you were going out, you know exactly who you're gonna meet. And mm -hmm. this is now something, and everyone brings something interesting here. And I love this international flair, what it has now. And of course now during this time when it's so empty since months, it's completely different. It's yeah. suddenly, I even discover Berlin completely different. What mm -hmm. I like to do is walking now and running, of course. So I really discover my city completely different because normally I know this was the club was there, you know, I'm, I have my city in clubs. Yeah, um, yeah. This is quite funny. And, um, but it's, it's good. Of course, for some people, it was annoying, but for the club scene and for the people who lived here, this was the golden years. Mm. I mean, you go out to a club, no one speaks German anymore. Mm. Normally and under normal circumstances. And this is something now where I'm really worried about because we have so many clubs and during this pandemic, I'm absolutely sure not everyone will survive. Mm. And, this is terrible. And even if clubs going to survive, we don't know how the situation will be changed. There will probably not anymore this wave tourism like we know it before. And it's for some clubs, they also depending on all this tourism, this wave tourism, they can't exist anymore. And this is going to be quite interesting. Maybe it comes back to, I don't know, normal is, is, is quite a hard word, but it's yeah, it's it's I'm, I'm really afraid. And I have also I'm a little bit afraid that Berlin that even clubbing or night clubbing is going to be something really expensive and only for a few people because mm -hmm. we for sure can't fill in the whole capacities so probably the people are gonna uh, the club owners will increase the trends and this could be really terrible yeah but i love it also when all this tourism was here of course it's annoying when you have all the tourists in front of the streets of course we can complain but on the other hand now i'm missing that yeah no, now it's gone it's yeah it's terrible <laughs> Someone show up in front of my street yeah in the night or when you go out when sometimes when you when i sometimes i'm when i'm not touring in the morning i go for a run even at eight o'clock and then you see some wasted people coming out of the clubs and i'm always smiling of course before it was like oh, can they not stay in the club or go into the taxi and now i'm missing them you know i want to see this great I want to see this. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, you know, in terms of that city being full and really busy, I'd imagine you mentioned the Love Parade, like during those years, um, you played at that event. Can you tell us about what it was like? You know, you see photos and there's just vast seas of people on the city streets. It's incredible. Um, what was that like? And do you think something like that, to say the dreaded phrase, normal times, um, do you think something like that could come back? But I suppose start at the beginning. Uh, take us through your experiences with Love Parade. Okay, when I played the first time, it was um, on a time where I was absolutely not ready for it. It was directly the hype of Mobile. Uh, it was, I think it was 2006, 2005. And I was still not ready to be this DJ, what I am now. But of course, when you have this request, you're not denied this. You know? <laughs> and... The funny thing is that I don't have so much memories because you can't believe how nervous I was. I throw up three times before I had to go to this stage <laughs> yeah, because you see all these people and you know you were standing there and um, I was absolutely not ready for it and it was still this time where I was mixing with vinyl but it was for me the most 
incredible day for sure but mm-hmm. all i know that i was i had 20 minutes which is anyway like a terrible <laughs> slot and because of my i had my best friends with me and what i still remember that there was like a little clock so and there was three seconds and everyone was already like oh, because i was standing there but as a radio person you know exactly yeah. so and everyone was really surprised that i go just right in time on the stage because everyone else would be like five minutes before that and i was really quite um quiet before mm-hmm. and then i remember it was actually good but it was like I just saw people and the sound was a little bit difficult because people from the truck had like their own sound. They were not always like connected with. So it was a good thing. Mm-hmm. And from the second one I played, which was unfortunately not in Berlin, it was the time when it was in Dortmund. Mm-hmm. I was also really nervous. I remember I was super nervous. And um I also throw up three times and I remember that David Guetta was playing before me mm-hmm. and my I know that my parents were watching and were recording it via video and were finally proud that the daughter found <laughs> a good job and oh my god and I remember David Guetta stopped and I started and this was really good and I had a lot of fun because I was much better I was more convenient and this was for me the better gig for myself because I was more into it mm-hmm. but the, the first what I also remember afterwards I called my father and I said did you see it and then, yes I recorded it and the only thing he said wow the guy before you he was so good <laughs> and I was like <laughs> so in every time I remember back in the day when I come home and he's watching oh come on let's see the love parade thing Anya and he's only watching David Ketter and then he goes it's on off and it's so depressing for me and I was really <laughs> disappointed but so <laughs> this is always a nice memory what I have thanks dad yeah, and he is, became a big David Guetta fan but of course <laughs> it was difficult because I had the worst minimal track where I was starting with I think David Guetta stopped and I started with a not worst minimal but compare it to mm. I with a Guido Schneider or something like this, which was a minimal hero back in the days after David Guetta. I was like, Oops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a massive change. And in terms of when when you're when you're approaching a set or arriving in a club and you know, you've got a, a, a sea of people in front of you, how do you equate what you're going to put together in terms of your set? Do you have anything pre-planned or is it all just running free on the vibe of what's happening in front of you? As you might know, I'm absolutely not a pre-planned person. Mm -hmm. But also during the set, I'm always come into a club and try to check it out, how it is, uh, how the vibe is, how the crowd is. And I'm coming from this generation where I want to be a DJ to give the people a good night. Mm -hmm. So I'm not like the kind of person who say okay i want to play my sound you have to get it or you i'm it makes me feel terrible if people are not having fun and so i always try to convince them somehow in my way and so i'm always go and have a look how the atmosphere is how the crowd is and if they're wasted if they're in a good mood this is always fun and uh, i like it and also of course what time i'm playing is also Mm -hmm. quite important and um, I never have to prepaid thing. I'm really bad at organizing all these things. Sometimes, of course, when you have record box, you have to, sometimes I uh, save a set where it was a great night. Mm-hmm. But great night in a different club means not that this set is working on this special certain night where you are. Yeah. So I had to learn this. <laughs> <laughs> 
so I'm always, I'm never be prepared. Sometimes now, of course, when I know I go to a more techno city or to a more techno club, I have a special folder when I'm preparing that. But sometimes I also had the feeling when you get lost into this too much organization, you're not going out of this, you're not changing the sound. I'm like a DJ who's like to change from techno to house and, you know, I'm always in between and I go a little bit more minimal. And I like this. And sometimes when you prepare it, then you get stuck in your music genre. And mm -hmm. this is kind of boring. Yeah. So I try to avoid this. And this is why I'm not prepared. But of course, I know my tracks. So what this is really helpful because I have this radio show three hours um, every Friday in the normal radio station and my club room every week. So I have to listen to all the new tracks mm -hmm. every week anyway to make a new playlist for this so i'm really aware of my new tracks and i played them in the radio so i heard them at least once which is good yeah and uh, it's also why i love to play always new music of course i love a lot of colleagues they're digging and play all this old stuff and especially nowadays all this 90 euro trans euro dance which is now really popular i hate this because i was a I was there when this was actually get played and I hated it. <laughs> I hated it to be 9 a.m. in the morning. It was not a good track during this time and it's not a good track now. <laughs> so I like to play new music because I love it. And I'm always curious and I love new music always. So I try to, to put always really new music. And sometimes, of course, I have to check myself and check the charts that I sometimes not play the tracks because when I get the tracks they're not in not released yet mm -hmm. and that they're not top 10 I try to avoid this <laughs> if you know what I mean yeah yeah and no it's like you say having that radio show as well must be a huge benefit in terms of getting all of that new music in and being able just to listen to it like having to listen to it front to back mm -hmm to put it in your show yeah. and that must influence what you're putting in your sets what i want to talk about as well obviously we're in this lockdown situation now um clubs and artists and everyone across this industry are really really suffering in terms of lack of activity happening lack of income and lack of government support as well and i mean we've got lots of things going on in the uk here in terms of trying to support that and trying to get the government to take notice so i know that in germany you're doing something with booking united you're the official mm -hmm. spokesperson for that can you just tell us about your work behind the scenes with them and how important that is? So Booking United was actually built directly in March. It's like um, um, formed by five people. It's like um, agents, managers. And it was formed because suddenly we were in the situation and we didn't know what to do. And every, you know, when you ask for help, everyone was asking, do you have an association? Huh? What association? So we were really fast aware that we need an association because people have to talk with each other we have to help we have to get a voice because we are one of the biggest business thing here in berlin because all the we have now 170 agencies and 2000 artists in this association they signed in and we had to make get us a voice and have to make the politicians aware that that is a huge business and we paid all the taxes here and we are completely out of Mar from March on with no income. I'm the spokesperson for DJs and what we are doing mainly is talking with politicians. We were a lot of time in the Bundestag and make aware that we, we are doing because the most of the people had no idea because nightlife is really something probably you discover the same where people not really happy to help, you know, mm -hmm. they would love to 
no one cares what is the nightlife are the party people you know and then you have to fill in the news with this fucking underground rave somewhere which is happening during the pandemic and they're like okay the techno people just having fun mm -hmm. hedonism whatever and it's quite hard to tell them that we have like berlin especially in berlin there is like i don't know how uh, hopefully i don't say the wrong Uh, number I think we have 1.9 billions income only for people in one year would come here for clubs mm -hmm. because they're going to the hotels they're going to shop they you know they're leaving a lot of money here and we have a lot of the main global players in the agencies sitting here in Berlin mm -hmm. and the business is done by Berlin we're playing we're paying all taxes and this was quite important first of all to get all together all the people and this was good because all the agencies first of all there's always a lot of politics in our dance music in every scene, mm -hmm. you know? And normally there's like your competition agency, but now everyone was on the table and we had one voice. And I really liked this. And we were all working on this to get help and to get heard. And actually we did. And now we had some, some good programs. We were on some things, we were failing, but we had a lot of demonstrations and we, but I'm still kind of disappointed because no one of all these German techno big guys was speaking out to the press and saying, hey, we are here. Mm -hmm. So of course you have these big pop stars, they are always saying, hey, terrible situation, we need help. And, but it was in our scene really quiet, which is a little bit sad. Yeah. So, you know, and, um, but we're trying our best and um, yeah, we still work on programs that we get help. And we worked with politicians to work out some, pro some programs for help. But it's, it's somehow good, but it's also we were failing also on some things because we they give a shit up about us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's shocking how, like you say, how little thought has been given to just the wider aspects of the revenue that, you know, someone like Rave Tourism would bring to a city. They're not just going to the club and spending money in a club. Like you say, they're getting hotels, they're spending money in the shops, they're spending the entire weekend there, restaurants, all of these things that benefit from that. Berlin is wonderful, but no one comes if it comes to truth for the museums here, it is like this and people have to face it. It's, it's sad, but it's like this. And then of course, also the, the, even the business, what we have abroad, people having DJ agency managers, they're all here and a lot of pop stars, a lot of music and Berlin was always music city and creative city. And this is so sad that they leave us completely behind. Mm -hmm. And this is what we try to change. And for example, there's a little, little uh, example, what I can give you. They, when they had a first lockdown in November, they came to us, the politicians, oh, everything you get help for all November, what you earned last year, you get this for the this year, what you couldn't earn. But then in the end, it came out that even gigs only you played in Germany, you get reven revenue. Even if you paid somewhere, of course, you pay the taxes in Germany. Yeah, so it was yeah. like completely and there was no one is thinking how this all works and this is quite hard a lot of work to make aware of this and make, make aware of all this business because the mm. whole event industry is so big and it's not been seen this is so sad oh <laughs> <laughs> i could talk I just <laughs> I get them better. But at least we had like in the beginning it was also quite important because everyone had so much questions and you don't know with who you talk and we mm. need something like that people interact and talk about and we can answer questions, we could count them and then okay, how we can help, how we can help in every situation. Because we have agencies one one man show and then we have agency with 30 people. And of course, so we have also DJs, the little resident DJ who plays in a bar four times a week for 
800 euros. And of course, we have global players here in the association. But everyone has the same problem. It doesn't matter how much they earn. And of course, we are always had this bad image. Like, of course, everything was amazing. Private jet, five-star hotel. And now, of course, when people come and say, hey, we don't have income, they were all like, oh. And but it is like this, and mm. it's terrible that people judge us like this. And um, they have to think how it is and how to survive. And a lot of people that I know, a lot of DJs, they build new businesses with their. They have like agencies with thirty people working there and stuff like this. Yeah, I mean, let's see. Hopefully, twenty twenty one will turn out to be more yeah. positive than last year. And yeah, like you say, the real interesting thing would be hopefully. Um, the scene will change in a way in terms of its creativity in terms of what music's being put out there and how people put on parties as well and where these parties are happening hopefully something good will come out of all of this at the end and I would like to say one thing what we reached out and which is probably because I'm really proud of it and it's a good example and this is why I'm so proud of Berlin and even of this Booking United stuff so when all I think three weeks ago, when all this vaccine centers and everything was talking about, um, the president of the Red Cross came to our senator of cultural things and said, hey, you have all these people not working in this event industry. Can they help us to build up the Vessin Center? And guess what? Everyone was like, yeah. And so I just want to say, because I'm super proud, all my friends and a lot of DJs, technicians, they're building and they're even leading the centers now. So, for example, the whole Booking United is, is leading now the Vessin Center. We have one in Old Airport Tegel and one in the Arena. And the most people that work there are jobless DJs, technicians, people behind the scenes. And it's really good. It's good energy because everyone wants to do something. It's not that they, they were sitting there since nine months. And it's a nice feeling. It's a good example. And because who can do it best? Who can handle people best who come to Western Center? People that work in concerts and clubs because they have handled worse people. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great energy I just can say because my husband is working there and he is really happy and he sees always family faces and it's you have a feeling you do something for all of us. And it's actually a good idea because the people have nothing to do and they can do it best in logistics, everything. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And it's that feeling of, um, you know, making a difference, actually having a value and doing some good, I think, is key Absolutely. during this period. Um Okay, so uh, you were really good, actually. This morning, um, you've sent through, we do five tracks for a playlist um, that we have on Spotify. Uh, we always ask all of our guests, and uh, we got your tracks this morning, so I want to talk about those quickly as well, if we can. We always um, ask our guests to pick a track based on five different themes, and what we ask for them is just their reaction, why they've chosen this track. Just give a short little example of what this track means to you and why it's the one that came to the top of your brain when uh, you were asked the question so in terms of um, a catalyst track a track that first turned you on to uh, electronic music you've already kind of mentioned it in a way but if there's any more detail about what when you heard this or or what it meant yes of course I said it already it was the first electronic music thing it was minimal it was groovy and it catched me so much because it was completely different what I heard from all the other songs and this was really for me the the stone to build up 
my taste in electronic music. And this was a really good one. And I'm still loving it. I can hear it five times per day. I'm absolutely fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's Kraftwerk. And uh, the end of last year was the 50th anniversary of their debut album, which is incredible. To, and you listen to, like you say, you listen to some of their output now and it still sounds so futuristic. Absolutely. And it's romantic. It's melancholic. Somehow it's really romantic. It's computer love, computer liebe. For me, the most romantic track, it's so nice. And I love it. It's for me the first step. Brilliant, the catalyst. Um, okay, so uh, a floor filler for you. What is you have a do you have a go to floor filler or just a track that you feel like gets a massive reaction? Oh my god, of course. Um, I just put a massive reaction track not on this because I love this track I just discovered last month, and so I couldn't have the reaction. <laughs> it's the reaction what I have when I play this. I'm always dancing. I'm a huge Robin Hood and Floor plan fan and mm-hmm. I love all this Detroit stuff because I have a huge love for Detroit, which was also depending on my first um, experience with Tresor, who was a lot where I discovered Detroit music and underground resistance. So I'm still loving floor plan and it's so groovy and save the children is so important and it got, it's so good. And uh, yeah, I couldn't test it on the floor. This is my really, I'm sorry, but I'm absolutely sure it works after all these years. Believe me, it will work. <laughs> <laughs> We'll, we'll ask it we'll ask our listeners as well to to give their judgment on it as well hopefully it'll get the same reaction you want in terms of a sunsetter perfect track for you to soundtrack a sunset you've chosen the sun can't compare oh, yeah it's like a really it's always reminding me of beach times it's also romantic and it's wonderful i don't know which year it was it was 2008 12 10 uh, but it's so nice and light you know it's something this is something what i i it's not it's not a track when you play in a club. This is something where you play at a sunset and where people make happy and want to go home and having a good time. <laughs> it's really sexy track also. Um, and a, a tear a tearjerker as well. Obviously, it doesn't have to be dance music. And I, th- I think you've chosen a brilliant track that will hopefully... Yeah. Um, sum up this year as well um which what was it you've chosen Beatles here comes the sun mm. yeah for me what I love of course I love the Beatles um I grow up because my father heard them and I'm still loving them. sometimes when I hear this it's it's great and uh, here comes the sun is also I choose a really romantic playlist now if I think about it I was really quick this morning but it's also for me such something where the heart goes up and it's it gives you hope and um, gives you sunlight and love and this is probably belong the situation we are in this is why I choose probably this tracks what mm. you said because it gives hope gives hope and it's a wonderful track and I heard it also I mean it's not so unusual I heard it once on a festival where DJ Kotze was playing it which was where I was really, really flashed because I would be too scared uh, to play this track, but he has the balls to play some really crazy stuff in his set, for example, Gorillas and stuff. So I really was inspired by this, but I still love this track and I love the Beatles, but this is something that gives you hope what we all needed. Absolutely, absolutely. And your last track, I love I love this track anyway, but what have you chosen? <laughs> one knows because everywhere where I play I love to play this as a last one so it would be not honest to not put it on sometimes I feel a little bit um, already ashamed because people know that I love to play this as a last track they are all waiting for this already I have to change 
it. I have to choose another one, but I still love Octave One. And for me also like a positive track, it's also like so much energy. And I just want to give some positive feeling. I'm not so into this dark at the moment. I think this is also the times we are in. Probably this dark music gonna change. Yeah. <laughs> but I, this is something <laughs> where you have to give something positive and let the people go. And I always think that smiling is quite important. And if you use your hips, you smile, this is good. <laughs> this is true, this is true. And yeah, so I mean, Blackwater, it's like, I've heard I've heard that track played at so many different speeds in so many different oh, yeah. sets as well. And it works no matter what, pitched up, pitched down, like, yeah. you know, minus eight, whatever. It's, yeah, it works. So we always ask our guests as well, we are house culture. Um, you are part of that culture. What has it brought to you in your life? Not only like a career and friends and um creativity and all of these things but what what does it mean to you personally and where do you think it's moving towards in the future for you of course house culture and house music in general uh, brought me everything in life it teach me everything teach me how to love how to accept people respect ignore um boundaries it teach me everything and um without house music I think the world would be a different one. And I would be really happy if more people uh, would be into house music, then the world would be more peaceful and more equal, hopefully. Yeah, so for me, it was quite quite an important thing. And it's, it's always, I also like sometimes a little bit more techno, but I'm always in between. So tech house is now a really bad word, but I have to say, honestly, I'm always between techno and house, but it's always grounded and, and, and started with house music, always. That's a brilliant place to end, I think. Yeah, thank you so much. It's really nice. I love it. Really good. Super. Danke. Danke. House culture. That was most excellent, wasn't it? A great way to kick off our third season. I want to say a massive danke schön to Anya for taking part and telling us all about her rise to stardom via pirate radio, love parades, record labels and music brands. I hope you agree that hers was an interesting journey, right? And if you're looking for other pods out there that tell the behind the scenes stories of club culture, you might have heard Anya mention her own series called Club Room Backstage, which has just finished its first season and features super interesting chats with people like techno pioneer Chris Liebing and Elrose commercial director Matthew Hogg. You can find us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're already over on Spotify, don't forget to search for House Culture Perfect Playlist, where you'll find all the awesome tracks that were picked by Anya. You can judge for yourself whether you think her floor filler lives up to its title. And within the Perfect Playlist, there is also a hugely diverse selection that have been picked by all of our podcast guests. It's now over 18 hours long, so stick it on random and get yourself discovering. And if you want to hear the sound of Anya Schneider in action, Make sure you seek out her brand new EPs from a SOAS label released this week. There are two for your listening pleasure, one which re-edits and remixes All I See, one of the biggest tracks from her most recent album, and the other EP which reimagines her 2014 single Dub Mission, which itself was inspired by the sounds of early Paul Van Dyke and Kid Paul. These are available from all the usual outlets. Once you've caught up on that, please support this podcast by loving, liking, tweeting, sharing and by leaving us a rating or a review on Apple. This is really important. We'll help us continue to create these episodes that we hope you love listening to. We could also get you a shout out on a future one as well. This time around, I'm shouting out to a listener who goes by the name on Apple Podcasts of Irish Boston Bow Doyle. 
who said that as an old Dublin raver living in the United States, they love hearing the stories from the legends and that they can't wait for new episodes. Well, I hope we didn't keep you waiting too long for this one and that you enjoy the new ones we have coming up as well. And if you don't want to miss out on those future episodes and also get a daily dose of club culture, make sure you hit up our Instagram feed at housecultureNet or follow the hashtag TrueHouseCulture. And finally, if you want to reach out to me, Matt Rouse, you can do it directly on Instagram at DJ Matt Rouse. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and see you next time. House Culture. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, Fresh. 